You can continue, you can continue honorable, continue, minister. honorable minister. So one of our major tasks as the Department of Employment and Labor during the lockdown has been to repurpose the UIF to facilitate the flow of payments to workers to mitigate the effects of the mass layoffs. Remember, the fund was designed to cushion workers against the negative effects of the actual unemployment and retrenchment with the quantum of benefits received being calculated on the contributions made over time by the employee and the employer. Although we we had already moved towards online YF claim application, backed up by the call center to address the inquiries, we are also relied, or we also previously relied on the working claims at the department's nationwide network of the labor centers. With the declaration of the national state of disaster and the subsequent lockdown to curb the spread of um, to curb the spread of COVID-19, it was clear that the existing benefit structure, processes, and systems would not meet the new requirements. The mandate of the UIF was greatly expanded to provide financial support at least equal to the national minimum wage to workers who had been laid off, regardless of their length of contribution. So the solution was the introduction of the COVID-19 tariffs, which is the Temporary Employee-Employer Relief Scheme Benefit Scheme. So our initial concern was that uh, the existing systems would not cope with the anticipated volume of the claims and that there would be massive queuing at the labor center. That's compromising the physical distancing and endangering the staff and the public alike. So this dilemma required that we completely redesign the architecture and supporting systems of the UIF claims process. We took a uh, strategic decision to close the labor centers and to focus on the development of the systems of mass distribution of benefits through the employers, sectoral associations, and the bargaining council acting as disbursement hubs. Um, they worked as disbursement uh, hubs. So the social partners, labor and uh, business, represented at NETLEC were engaged by the government and brought into this approach. And let us emphasize, it would not have been possible to shift to a system of mass distribution hubs without the active support of the representatives uh, of business. This new model was supported by a decisive shift to online applications supported by the call center. To achieve this, uh, we had to strengthen and expand the existing systems and in this, we were greatly assisted by the private sector, particularly the banking and the insurance sectors, as well as the, uh, the discussions we had with SARS and the Banking Council, which assisted us to validate claims and disbursement hubs and to expedite the payments. So the call center was reinforced by Harambi, which increased our corps uh, of operators from the initial 25 to, to 200 and of late, we have talked about increasing to 400 and provided access to their advanced technology. We also remained mindful of those 
individual workers who were not supported in their application by the employers and did not have access on the online facilities. Drop boxes for application forms were provided at the labor centers with the back office staff continuing to work uh, to process the claims. Uh, the company Interfile offered to run the UIF system service at no cost. This is important service, particularly to those working in isolated environments such as the domestic workers and the farm workers. All this meant initial delays, but I can now report um, the following progress, and which I think the, the DG would be able to give the details of, 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 of the numbers in terms of the regular UIF uh, claims and uh, the COVID-19 benefits which uh, we have paid. Um, and remember that when we're talking about these big numbers of the recipients, uh, each recipient is almost certainly supporting a family and dependents, greatly multiplying the reach of the UIF benefits. And to give assurance that despite these last dis disbursements, the UIF is able to meet now its obligation. The fund is currently sitting with almost $7 billion in liquid funds, with the additional $7 billion on a fixed deposits set to mature. While challenges remain for the UIF, correct documentation is still outstanding from some employers. Payments are also slowed down where employers are not assisting their employees to claim. Um, this week we have calculated... Uh, if I know the numbers, but the DG would give the update, about 220,000 workers who were entitled to claim who have not yet done so. So we are contacting these individuals and uh, we implore their employers to assist, to assist us in this endeavor. Some of the employers have come out very well in terms of the assistance and uh, we thank those employers who are cooperating. On the compensation fund, Chairperson, in response to the declaration of the pandemic, the CF has established its crisis management uh, committee and developed a COVID-19 response plan to focus on the uh, COVID services, uh, the compensation for occupational injuries and diseases, the medical benefits, rehabilitation, and account payable. So like the UIF, the compensation fund has opted for online applications backed by, backed by the call center for the protection of the claimants and staff and to streamline processing and the payments. Few claims have been registered as yet. This will change as the message is communicated that COVID-19 contracted in the workplace will be compensated as an occupational disease. But we are concerned that in some of the farms, we're getting the information that uh, some of the workers are just um, thrown into the trucks and dumped into 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 the borders of the Eastern Cape and so on, but it's a matter which we are going to be investigating. Investigation and enforcement services, which is the last issue, Chairperson. The labor inspectors had carried out some 2,166 inspectors over the lockdown. Compliance amongst the employees increased from 50% to two-thirds over this period, and over 1,000 contravention improvement and prohibition notices were, were served with an okay. average of okay. nine pro prohibitions per day, leading to a total or a partial partial shutdown. 
Currently, there are 170 inspectors, 170 Abego pardon inspectors in the field out of 200. In the 2019 budget, provision was made to employ an additional 500. This process uh, is now being expedited to meet the new demands of the pandemic. The department is also looking at using accredited registered inspection bodies to increase its reach. Increased capacity is essential as we move to the level four and beyond where the department will have to ramp up its inspections to ensure compliance with health and safety directives. It would be impossible to inspect every one of the 1.8 million businesses. Therefore, inspectors rely upon the support of the individual workers, the unions, and socially responsible employers in providing vital information, which in turn allows the inspectors to focus on the hotspots and to make an example of particular offenders. In turn, this leads to greater self-regulation and compliance. It's not on the agenda, but I want to mention, Chairperson, that um, our supported employment enterprises, these factories have been repurposed to supply the PPEs, masks and gowns, as well as hospital linen. They are already supplying PPEs to municipalities and provinces and are in talks to supply the Department of Health, particularly to equip the field hospitals which are underway. Again, thank you, uh, Chairperson, uh, for this opportunity. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Thank you. Can I make this request again? All members must mute when somebody is speaking so that we are not disturbed by the echo. I will now hand over to the DG to take us through, and, and from there he will then allocate his team. As you know, how you make your presentation depends on you. So over to you, DG. Good evening, Chairperson and the honorable members. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Commissioner Mafata to just beam the, the presentation. Which one did you? The, the UIF one. Thank you, Chair. Um, we'll, I'll ask the Commissioner to just move to slide 10 because the Minister has done um, the, the introductory part of our presentation. The slide 10, Chair. Uh, Commissioner, can you move back to slide 10? Thank you. Slide 10, Chair, is the is, is a depiction of what the minister has already indicated, um, that when we started, um, we had to work on our system to make sure that our system is able to deal with the 
with the applications. And hence, you see that we're, we're referring to a web platform action. And secondly, we had to develop a, a guide, we call it the Easy 8, uh, where, where employers and, and, and the, all the parties, in fact, were, were, were being taken through in terms of the process that we're going to follow to um, process the, the application, also how they must apply and, and who is this benefit applicable to. The, second, the third one is the, we also had to deal with the normal claims. You, I'm sure honourable members must have heard that there, are, there were calls in some quarters that during this period we neglected um, the normal claims. It's important that we, in our presentation and, and in the report that we provide to the honourable members of, of the committee, we also reflect the work that we do in terms of the, the normal unemployment insurance uh, uh, benefits. Next slide, Commissioner. The minister also indicated that um, amongst the stakeholders that we've been working with during this period um, are the bargaining councils. From the, from the beginning, we decided that given the, the closeness of the bargaining councils to the employers and also employees in the, in the, in the different sectors, it will actually work uh, best if they are the ones who are assisting us with dispersing the, the benefits to the employees. Now, what we're reflecting on the slide is the, those bargaining councils that we have signed an agreement with them and um, we've worked through the process that we're going to follow and we've started, they've, they've started submitting applications and we've already uh, in the process of, pay, we've started paying them. For instance, the KZN Clothing Industry Bargaining Council um, representing 174 employers. And those employers submitted application uh, for 21,758 employees. And the rent value of the benefits that they received is 20, just over 28 million. The next one is the bargaining council for textile industry, 67 employers representing 2,500 employees, and they were paid just over 4, 4 million. The clothing industry bargaining council, 178 uh, employers um, representing just over 8,000, 8, and the rent value of what they have been paid is 16 million. And in total, for these bargaining councils, we paid 422 employers representing 32, just over 32,000 employees, and we paid 49 million. Next slide. Now, this is the, the besides what we, we, we referred to in the, the previous slide, when we started, um, we had some teething problems that the minister referred to, and we since refined the, the system, and we, as I indicated, we developed a web-based system that is now helping us to um, process the claims. So we... When we at, as at, at the 29th of April 2020, we had 100, 188 employers that applied um, for this for this benefit, and on behalf of just over two million um, employees. And of course, the system w was able to just uh, deal with those applications that were not 
that did not meet the, the standard and they were full of errors and we the, the figure reflect, reflected there is just over 50,000. I'll, I'll come to that at a later stage. And then we were, we were then set with um, 137,000. Those are the what we refer to as valid claims. So out of those valid claims, we processed and paid 77,000. And from, the, from that balance of 137,386, there were 58,000 employers that submitted applications on behalf of the employers that were never ever declared to the unemployment insurance fund. And those employees, um, the number of those employees is 384. And if we were to pay those employees, we'll pay them one, just one, just over 1 billion. Now, the reason why we're mentioning this is that for us, it's very important that um, when we ask employers to declare, they declare the numbers that they have so that when we have to pay benefits, we don't have to scratch our heads and wonder whether these employees indeed do work for these companies. So this 58,837 employees, we are um, in consultation with them, we're talking to them. And the simple question that we're asking the employers is that, are these employees yours? Do they work for you? Um, if you have proof that indeed they work for you, please give us the proof so that we can f uh, we can finalize this uh, this payment of the benefits to these employees. And of course, we uh, during this process picked up that there are 750 employers who submitted um, wrong uh, uh, bank bank accounts for the employees. Um, I think it's about 8,000, just over 8,000. We would have paid those employees 53 uh, million. So we, we're working with the employers um, to make sure that we resolve all this, uh, uh, these matters. Next slide. So what you see in this slide is just a summary of um, um, when we deployed the system for, on the 16th of April, um, the, how much were we uh, paying um, leading up to the the sum total of 77,801. And to date, we have paid for just over 4.4 billion um, to 1.1 million employees. Next slide. This is a, a this slide um, reflect, reflects the disaggregated uh, information in terms of provinces. Um, Gauteng so far is sitting at as 28% and, and followed by Western Cape 15%, KwaZulu-Natal um, 11%. So you can see in which province um, are we getting um, more applications from employers. There have been other questions relating to the liquidity of the, the fund. Some people have raised concerns as to whether we'll be able to um, to meet the, the demand. Um, we This slide simply just projects um, the the liquidity of the fund and where our investment are. And, and in case we have to, we, we have to 
um, sell bonds. Uh, we're sitting now currently we we, we have um, seven one one seventy one billion on on government bonds, twelve billion on the S SOE bonds, and twenty six billion on domestic equities. And offshore we have six billion. Uh, on the money market we have seven billion. And the social responsibility investment we have fourteen billion. And that makes um, in total one hundred and thirty six billion that we have uh, on our portfolio. Currently. The cash that we have um, available is 6.8 um, billion, um, and the maturing deposit um, at the end of April, which was yesterday, was 7 billion, which means that we're now sitting with uh, just over 13 billion. Um, remember that we have put aside in 40 billion um, to be able to deal with whatever uh, benefits that we'll have to pay. Um, for the period of uh, three months. Now, given uh, the fact that the the lockdown may have to be extended beyond three months, uh, we're hoping that the 40 billion will be enough. But if it's not enough, we'll then have to go and find money, uh, which means that uh, in some instances we'll have to sell uh, bonds um, so that we can uh, we can have we can have cash to pay. Next slide. These are the claims that we receive on a daily basis, uh, and they, um, as we are reflected there, they, uh, your ordinary benefits, the unemployment ordinary benefits where people are retrenched or they, their services have been terminated, um, and maternity benefits, uh, dependent benefits, illness benefits, and so far we paid 65000 um we, we paid to 65,000, an amount of what, just over 1 billion. Next slide. That's just the um, provincial uh, disaggregation uh, of the information that I've just uh, mentioned in the previous slide. Next slide. And these are claims per, uh, per sector. Uh, it's just for the information of the um, of the members. The next slide. This slide indicates uh, partly what the minister uh, has has uh, has reflected on. That uh, when we started, um, our call center was flooded, and we therefore took a decision that we will um, accept the um, the offer by Harambe to assist us. And um, they made available a number of agencies. Uh, when we started, it was 175. We're now in the process of adding more to reduce the waiting time. And I must say that, as Minister has indicated, this has helped quite a lot. And we are on a continuous basis, based on the report that we get from them. Um, we seek to improve the, um, the, the, the services. The second one was uh, some clients were unable to use the technology, um, and we decided, and I must say that we took this decision long before the lockdown, that in order to reduce the transmission of the virus, um, we have to put drop boxes outside our offices so that we can reduce the number of people that come into our offices, and we did this to uh, protect um, our staff and also to protect the public. So we kept this even during the, the, the lockdown. 
Um, and and this, I must say, it, it helped a lot um, and because for some reason people were able to go and drop um, applications. And we have officials that uh, have been in the offices who, on a daily basis, empty these boxes to make sure that they, those claims are, are processed. Um, we, we spoke about uh, employers not submitting list of employees on the correct format. Um, we developed an online platform with mandatory fields, and that seemed to have helped. And that's why we're now uh, able to say we've uh, paid just over 77,000 um, employers. Non-compliance by employers, auto-return sent to employers indicating non-compliance issues to be addressed. So that seems to be uh, working. Some employers underpaid on their claims and do not know how to distribute the funds accurately among their staff. This was picked up by um, uh, employers, and we worked with business to to deal with this situation. One one of the challenges um, that we picked up was that when when we were paying, we were we were not submitting uh, together, or we were not sent we're not sending together with the with with payment the payment schedules. So we, uh, we have automated that, that functionality now, and uh, when we pay, the the payment schedules uh, are attached to the um, to the payment. The second aspect that we picked up was that because Section 12 of the Unemployment Insurance uh, um, Act says that in a, when you when you claim, and in the event that the employer Tops up your 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 tops up your salary to an extent that it exceeds that which um, ordinarily the UIF would have given you. You do not qualify for um, for UIF benefits. Therefore, you get zero. So when we implemented the COVID-19 tariffs, that provision was still there, and that's why you'll find that some employees. Um, when when their employers top up that which would have they would have received from UIF, the the calculation gave them a zero amount to be paid as a benefit. So we worked again with the employers to improve the calculation, and we therefore had to amend the directive to make sure that uh, we it, it captures that the agreement that we 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 reached we reached with the employers. It was important for us to do that because. Um, if we didn't do it, it would have meant that uh, we were not implementing tests um, in the manner that um, we, in the spirit in which um, we wanted to implement tests, even though in, illegally we were correct and in terms of how we were calculating the benefit. So we've worked with the, with the employers to make sure that our system responds positively to that. And we've adjusted the calculator that we were using to make sure that it um, those, those claims are now um, paid. So a number of people also, as Minister indicated, asked and, and asked us to um, work with a number of um, you know people who were offering services to the department. So we continue to work with them. Uh, we, we are working um, we in constant contact with South African receivers of uh, revenue. Um, we, we, the idea uh, which we've uh, discussed with SAS is that as part of our, of our 
of our uh, business uh, continuity plan, um, we should be able to use SaaS um, to assist us in case we um, our system crashes. And and I must say that so far the system seems to be coping very well. Um, but you're also working with uh, with Holat Teleshow um, to make sure that uh, in an event that uh, the system crashes, we continue paying. So we're working with those uh, with those entities. Um, um, we have. Imp- Improved our communication um, since the last time we report. We we we, we, were, we appeared before the committee, and I'm sure honourable members must have heard quite a number of, uh, um, you know, must have, must have read in the newspapers quite a number of uh, stories relating to uh, how we're paying. And I must say that um, we've been receiving um, compliments um, around, but we've also been receiving. Um, complaints from employers and we continue to work with them um, our officials are already are always there to assist the the um, the, the employers uh, chair i'm going to leave it at that um, i will ask the commissioner mafata to take us through the cf presentation over to over to over to you commissioner mafata thank you very much dg Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, I will jump straight to slide number nine because we had uh, a, a number of issues around our readiness for to deal with claims for COVID-19. During the COVID-19 crisis, uh, we presented in the last uh, session. So what um, what we have uh, now is we've established dedicated teams of uh, medical professionals in the fund and claim processors who are responsible for managing all the COVID-19 claims that are being registered. So we've established national and provincial uh, response teams comprising of the medical officers um, also in the provinces. Um, At this point, all the claims have been dealt with at the national level so that we can uh, make some learnings and improve the standard operating procedures so that when we get an influx of claims, we are then ready for um, for dealing with these claims at a decentralized uh, level. Priority has always been, even in the notice, the, those who are at high risk of infection, such as healthcare workers and those who are employed to assist healthcare workers. So that's the uh, where we are. And uh, the, in terms of the system readiness and the claims, we have established uh, two ways in which uh, people can then submit these claims to us. Uh, employers can submit the claims to us online uh, using the uh, department system that is accessible or the fund system, CompEasy, which is accessible through the Department of Employment and Labor website, where they can then submit the claim online and all the relevant questionnaires that have been published to support the claims. Uh, Alternatively, the same claims can also then be emailed to a dedicated email address box that we've established specifically for claims. And uh, in the beginning, all the claims we've received have been exclusively through the email uh, process. We receive them, adjudicate, and then we register them on the system once a decision has been made by the uh, medical uh, officers as well as the claims uh, processors. 
Um, Minister has already touched on uh, the administrative readiness of the fund in terms of the capacity that we're operating, the crisis uh, activation of the crisis management team and the operations of the fund. And as we indicated that we're operating at a 50% capacity on a shift basis so that we can allow for social distancing in the fund. We are trying to uh, increase the number of mobile resources that we have so that we can then give them to those who are not on shift on a specific day. They can then continue to work so that when the claims, uh, when we do get an influx of claims, we don't uh, fall behind with regard to uh, adjudicating and registering those particular claims. The, we previously reported, I think one of the main challenges was that uh, the issues around the reporting of the, of, of the claims. Uh, we have seen over the last week that there has been quite a, an improvement in the number of, or an increase in the number of claims that have been registered. Um, though it's not at the same level as what has been reported in the media in terms of some of the healthcare workers that would have uh, contracted COVID-19 in the workplace. And this being a new occupational disease on the from the COIDA side, we are hoping to use our medical professionals as well as the claims assessors to be able to uh, make it easier for us to be able to uh, uh, assess these claims because, as we know, it can both be contracted from a community or from a, a, an occupation that the person is working in. So the questionnaire that we published with the notice uh, on the 26th of March is aimed at helping us to uh, be able to then make the distinctions with regard to whether it's a community contracted or an occupationally contracted uh, disease at the time that we adjudicate the claim. And also one of the changes that we've made to our claims process specifically for COVID-19 claims is that why would, while we would ordinarily require a medical report once a claim is registered for us to be able to make a decision on the claim, we've taken note of the fact that uh, not everybody who tests positive would have gone to a doctor. But what would happen is the person would have gone through a test that with a, a, a report from the pathologist's so we have then uh, made that concession that all the claims that when they come in, they don't have to come with a medical report, but they have to then have that pathology report so that we can confirm the, uh, the existence of the virus. And then we can then make a decision on, on that. And that has helped us to be able to make a decision within a day of receiving claims for all the claims that have been registered so far. We have uh, received about 42 cases to date uh, for COVID-19. Only one case was uh, was not accepted, where liability was not accepted, as it was found not to have been an occasionally acquired uh, disease, but a community-acquired disease. And uh, two cases are pending where we're waiting for the medical questionnaire that was not submitted by the employer. We are following up the employer, as well as one where we're waiting for the uh, lab results from the pathologist so that we can then confirm the existing disease for us to make a decision on the on the claim. About 30 of these cases, we've already accepted liability for the claim. And uh, when there is a requirement then for us to be able to pay the uh, related benefits, we will then be able to pay these benefits for the 30 claims. And uh, there are about nine that came in uh, that were awaiting adjudication as at yesterday, which are the claims that would have come in at the end of uh, the day on the 29th. And these were then finalized by our, our national panel uh, yesterday. And uh, we've accepted liability for all of them. But at the time of preparation of the presentation, they were still waiting to go to, to the medical panel. In the next slide, it just shows the details of the of the 42 claims. We'll see that 
for except for two claims. All claims have been from the healthcare profession, and KZN being the leading province with the uh, number of claims that have been registered there. We've seen the reports around the St. Augustine Hospital in uh, in Devon, as well as the uh, Kingsway Hospital in Devon. So the, the, that's where the main majority of the claims have come from. But we also have uh, two cases that were reported from Gauteng, one in the Eastern Cape, one in Mpumalanga, and then the uh, balance were also then in uh, in the Western Cape from the Mediclinic facilities. That's the chair. I'll end my presentation here. Thank you. I'll hand back to the DG. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Commissioner DJ. Thank you, Chair. I'll ask the Commissioner to load the Inspection and Enforcement Services report, and the Inspector General is, uh, will take us through the presentation, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Was the Commissioner is loading? I'll just start on the first part, the introduction, in terms of the purpose of the inspections and enforcement services during this period. I just want to emphasize that what we are enforcing currently are the COVID regulations, um, the OHS directive that was recently signed off by the minister, the OHS um, Act itself, in particular the hazardous biological agents regulations. With regards to COVID-19, we look at issues that are uh, well known, things such as social and some people call it physical distancing, the provision of PPE, um, such as masks, respirators, sanitizers, etc. I don't know if the commissioner is struggling to beam the presentation. Can I go on, Chair? Is it fine? Chairperson, can I yes, go on? Is it fine? Yes, you may. Whilst we're okay. still struggling with technology. All right. Um, with regards to the, I was on the issue of the OHS directive itself. Chair, what we look at here is in particular the issue of the risk assessment. The expectation is that every workplace must have a, a risk assessment in place. So during this period, we look at the responsiveness of the risk assessment towards the COVID-19 regulations, but it's also, as well as the HPA, hazardous biological agents. Um, in essence, the risk assessment will look at the nature of work in a particular workplace, and identify possible risks, and uh, the, therefore, as, as a follow-through, there must be uh, mitigation controls in place, and there must be plans that, that address as such. So, Chair, almost always the starting point will be really to look at the risk assessment and ensure that um, it has done its best in, term, in terms of responding to the COVID uh, regulations. Um, I'm, I need also to emphasize that we conduct coordinated inspections. What this means is that um, we're not alone when we conduct these inspections. We are accompanied by SAPS, uh, the Department of Health, uh, 
and the DTI, with each um, entity looking into its own jurisdiction. The report that I'm going to be presenting is going to be covering um, the period from the 5th of April up to the 28th of April. Effectively, it's about 17 or 18 days. If we go to the next slide, um, I'm now at the slide uh, that is talking to the total number of inspections by province. In his opening remarks, the, the minister indicated that to date we've conducted 2,166. So what this slide is showing is a depiction of um, the contributors in terms of provinces. You'll notice that KZN is the highest contributor. It's about 29%. And the least contributor is Northern Cape at about 0.3%. And the reason for the Northern Cape to have such a, a low number is that we picked up a challenge when we were trying to uh, send PPEs to, to them. So they got them really, I think, just about last week, and that's when they started with inspections. They currently have three OHS inspectors that are eligible to conduct um, OHS inspections at this point in time. Um, if we go on, the graph that follows is just a depiction of uh, the inspections per, per day. I'm not going to spend time on that. We can go to slide number five, which then shows, Chair, um, I need to say that our inspections focused on in both the private, uh, private and the public sector. So if you go to slide number five, it shows the private sector entities that are inspected. If you move uh, a commissioner to the next slide, you'll see a retail and wholesale supermarkets, pharmacies, and so on. So the list is as attached. And then the greater chunk of our inspections, about um, 89%, were on the private sector. And then we go to the next one that depicts a inspection that you're done. Uh, inspections that are done in the public uh, sector institutions, about 11%. Yeah. Then as, we move, as we move on, uh, the slide is just giving... Okay, so um, yeah. There's a noise somewhere. Sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry, Inspector General. There is some, there's a member, whoever, whose mic is on, and I don't know, is, is disturbing the presentation. Please, honorable members. You can continue, Inspector General. You have, you have muted your mic. Inspector General, we can't hear you now. What's the problem? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. I was saying that our if you if you you go to the slide seven that is talking about um, issues around compliance, you'll see that our compliance levels have picked up a steady increase. As as things stand now, the compliance level is at about sixty four percent. I need to point out, however, Chair, that when you look at the uh, um, public sector, 
the compliance level there is higher than the private sector, which is at um, the public sector's compliance level is at 67%. However, since we started, we're seeing, you'll see as my, con- my presentation continues, we're seeing a steady uh, upward trajectory in terms of uh, compliance. And we are quite pleased that in, in, in some instances, um, um, employers have taken the initiative to, to go to an extent of self-prohibiting when they pick up that there are issues of non-compliance. So when we pick up non-compliance, we've issued out notices, contravention notices, improvement notices, and prohibition notices. With regards to contravention notices, we've also revised the turnaround time because obviously uh, during the COVID period, we cannot give um, workplaces an an ending period of compliance. So our contravention notices are uh, valid for 48 hours, after which we conduct follow-up inspections to ensure that whatever was not in place is in place. And what we've picked up that there is compliance, we then revoke the notices. In instances of prohibiting workplaces, we do so when we, we see that there's immediate danger to human life, particularly when you look at things of social distancing, provision of proper PPE. I spoke about the risk assessment earlier. So the risk assessment will direct in terms of which PPE should be there as a matter of um, mandate. So an inspector will then um, be able to judge and make a determination that a, a workplace has got to be either fully prohibited or partially prohibited. In an instance of full prohibition, it means that um, the production will come to a stop at that point in time. Partial prohibition will mean, that, will mean that there are certain portions of the workplace that will be prohibited. If we go to the next slide, which is slide number eight, um, the minister indicated that per day we, we uh, prohibit about nine workplaces. I won't spend a lot of time on that. If you go to the next slide, number nine, it's just an illustration uh, in terms of the prohibition notices that we've of, of issued out. Slide number 10, um, showing a number of inspections and compliance levels per day. Chair, I just want to spend a bit of time on, um, you'll see the columns, there's one that talks to uh, number of inspections, comply, not comply, and other. In instances where we are depicting other, it will mean that a workplace was prohibited as a result of a jurisdictional area that is not in the department's uh, mandate. Let me give an example. There are instances where we'll, we went to workplaces and we found that there were, um, in some instances, we find it's almost everyone working in that space is a foreign worker who's in the country illegally. And because we'll be having uh, home affairs with us, they'll therefore arrest those people that are in the country illegally. And by implication, the workplace will then close. Another instance would be where a workplace is operating with an illegal license of essential services, where you find that um, a workplace will claim that they've been declared as essential, but when the DTI uh, 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 gives a closer look to the certificate, it will be found to be fraudulent, and it will then close. So that other means that.
So I thought I should emphasize that. And then, um, Chair, I just want to move to slide 13. I think that slide is just a demonstration of what I said, I said earlier on in terms of a steady increase with regard to compliance levels. Um, I would like to move to the a very last slide because I think a lot of things they were covered by um, the minister. The very last slide where we're saying that uh, we are antici anticipating a chairperson, a slide number 20, we're anticipating that with the risk-adjusted um, strategy, there's going to be an increased demand on our services as a department. And we are saying also that we anticipate that the demand for the inspectorate is going to go beyond just occupational health and safety. And in that regard, we are considering also bringing together our BCEA inspectors as well as um, em employer audit auditors uh, for both, both UIF and COIDA. Um, BCEA chair, we're beginning to pick up uh, complaints in the public where the issues of... Um, uh, some illegal deductions and issues of national minimum wage where workers will be saying we haven't been paid the minimum wage that we, we are we know we are uh, um, we should be getting so the rate of complaints validates that we should consider bringing in our PCA inspectors and I, I think when the DG made his presentation also referred to a number of workers that have been, whose claim has been submitted, but they, they, ha they have not been declared. So we do have um, inspectors that look into the payroll. We call them auditors. And so we're considering also bringing them back so that we are able to deal with this thing of non-declaration as well as non-contribution. And in addition, I just want to add to what the minister has said. We are in the process of uh, employing 500 new inspectors. Uh, the processes are, process are quite at an advanced stage. And I know that some of them um, are going to be appointed uh, by the end of next week. And we are hopeful that we'll be able to, to as much as possible, uh, deal with the, the, the complaints out there. And in conclusion, I do want to say that we will never have the numbers to be able to cut to touch every workplace but we just want to appreciate um, the cooperation that we're getting from whistleblowers in the form of it'll be uh, employees it'll be uh, members of the public sometimes and it will also be the unions etc that has enabled us as the inspectorate to be able to to direct our mega resources to where it really matters and for that a chairperson, we, we are really uh, grateful and will continue to leverage on, on, on that so that we are able to, to use the rate of complaints and the direction of complaints as a driver to our inspection services. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Inspector General. I just want to, because at times you, you abbreviate that uh, for the benefit of the public, uh, basic conditions of Employment Act inspectors, and uh, I think you meant that. So remember that we are being listened to by a number of people and uh, the public in particular, which is anxious and, and, and worried. 
So if when we we will be responding in moving forward, let's use less of abbreviations and 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 uh, name whatever in in full. Honourable members, I'm not going to waste time. I'm going to hand over to you for for questions, and uh, I will ask. I will request the secretariat to assist me in identifying who are the members that want to speak. But please, honourable members, we will not. We must not shout. We'll just indicate. The system does indicate if you want to use hands, and please mute your uh speak your 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 mics so that we hear everybody and your video when you are asking a question so that you are being seen thank you very much over to you members who want to st- who want to start Dinner? can i get an indication who wants to can I get the indication of that? Can I ask you a question? Eloise, Dana, you want to ask a Honorable members, one at a time. It's Honorable Dango. It's Honorable Kado. Honorable Ngwezi. And Honorable... Dana. Okay. Honorable. Bagram. Honorable Bagram. And we'll have and only two rounds. Tim Grout is it? Can Can you start, Honorable Dango? Uh, Chair, Honorable Tim Grout. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Honorable Bosov uh, as well, please. Can I Can I Can I request, Honorable Members? This is the first round. In the second round, then I will take Honorable Bishop and, and, and the others that are. Can we agree on that? Yes. Please, Honorable Members. Yes, Chairperson. Okay, uh, Honorable Django. Thank you very much, Chairperson. And the Minister and team, thank you very much for the presentation. A matter of concern is employers who have not declared or who have underdeclared, uh, that may become a legal matter, uh, which must be pursued at uh, one level or another. But also there is a moral matter. Has the organized business um, organizations that represent these employees actually expressed the view? And those spokespersons who normally speak on behalf of these businesses, have they expressed the view as to the morality of underdeclaring, uh, which must be considered to be fraud, um, and in the process, and what are the steps to be taken against such employers? Thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Dango. Honorable Cado. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, Chair, yesterday the National Treasury gave a harrowing presentation to the Finance Committee suggesting that the combined effects of COVID-19 and the recent downgrade might be three to seven million job losses. And that's far more disastrous than anyone has compl- uh, contemplated thus far. Last week, the Minister told our committee 
that between one and two million people might join the ranks of the unemployed. But if three to seven more million people join the ranks of the currently 10 million unemployed population, that is going to put a huge strain on the UIF's funding. And I wanted to get a sense from the minister or the DG um, of whether the UIF would be able to cope in that worst case scenario. We've seen on slide 16 that currently there are about 13.8 billion rands in funds available. We know that billion for the three-month period ending June. Uh, but what happens after that? And then secondly, a quick question on uh, foreign nationals. Um, I've been approached by a number of employers saying that their foreign national workers haven't been paid in terms of the COVID-19 tours benefit. The minister did indicate to me in a written response today that that is because all foreign uh, workers who are legally entitled to work uh, details have to be checked against the Department of Home Affairs' database. I wanted to know, is there any way of speeding up that process so that uh, foreign national workers who are also entitled to prompt payment uh, can benefit in that way? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. Now it will be Honorable Ngwezi. Honorable Ngwezi. Chairperson. Uh, Hello. Yes, you can speak, Honorable Ngwezi. Thank you. Thank you. Honorable members, uh, good evening. I just have just three questions, uh, Honorable Chair. The first one is, is, is to find out whether those who qualify to claim the UIF, is it employers or employees as individuals? If we can get, you know, a clarity on that for the public, you know, consumption and also the turnaround time uh, for the department to actually, you know, uh, 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 pay whether the employer or the employee once the money has been claimed. The second one is, is, is whether the, you know, what are the causes uh, which actually, you know, you know, uh, uh, made you know the delay for the payment of the, you know, uh, of 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 the eight thousand employees. I understand the reason is that the banking details were were wrong. But then, what was the cause, you know, of the submission of the wrong account details? Because employers actually have the correct account. I mean, account details for their employees. According to the department, or what were the main causes of the, you know, that resulted to that? Because it's not only a matter of, you know, this particular delay, but this has also delayed our people from getting assisted through this uh, uh, UIF fund. And as we speak, our people are starving when they should have benefited uh, already. Uh, do we have, I mean, do we know how many people are supposed to claim? And if the lockdown continues, 
honorable chair. Ezo kubega ikokele ngayo abantu umago guti lockdown ya kubega. Begwile mbuzo nje mtoni shwasitalo chokoza kakulu ngeskatsa. Thank you very much honorable members. If we can stick into this of being just short and precise so that we are able to ask all the questions that we want to ask the department. Can I get now honorable Dana? Thank you Chair. Uh, my first question, the, the minister mentioned that the call center might be increased to 400 um, operators. So by when will that be happening? Um, and then uh, I've heard that the system has been upgraded again and apparently it works very well, but there are just a few problems. The first that's been brought to my attention is um, that if a claim is not complete, uh, Obviously, the employer is informed and they resubmit either to uh, COVID-19 compliance or declarations at labor.gov.za. There is not feedback given on those submissions. So many employers don't know if their submissions are in order, if they've been received, and there's quite a delay on payments um, with regards to incomplete uh, submissions. So if we could just get feedback on the timeline on that. And then... Um, as well, on the system, if you make a mistake, for instance, if you enter an incorrect ID number and you've submitted, you can't go back and correct your mistake. And if you go into the system again, it tells you that the ID number is in use. So is the department aware of that and are they looking into that because many people can't claim now uh, due to the fact that they can't correct the mistake that they made by accident? And then the department tweeted on the 24th of April uh, a tweet that said, um, you can report your employer if they force you to use your annual leave. Now, the BCA makes provision for employers to expect their employees to use annual leave in this time. So if we could just get a comment on that, because that's been causing quite confusion um, amongst employees. And I think that is, those are my questions for now. Thank you, Jay. Thank you very much, Honorable Dana. Honorable Baker. Thank you, Chair. I, I appreciate it. We see, Chair, that the, the system became online on the 16th of April. What about the employers that had claimed beforehand, before it came online? Are those claims being paid and what's going on there? Second question is the Building Industry Bargaining Council. Maybe you can comment on that. Somehow there seems to be a problem there and the people in that industry have a problem. Uh, with regard to the Treasury saying it was three to seven million people losing jobs, that's not going to be TERS claims so much. There's going to be lots of claims. We don't know how many million uh, for retrenchment. And do we have funds to pay for those retrenchments uh, when they come online? Uh, we also heard from the, um, I think it was DG, who said that normal claims, normal claims are being neglected. Uh, when's that going to come right? Is that, uh, that online yet? Or are they, um, are they going to be held up much further? Um, the DG also talked about the zero amount for people because they had, uh, hadn't, weren't following the regulations. Uh, are those going to be revisited? When they're going to be revisited? And will the employers be told when they're going to be told? Then the, um, the claims, we've had 42 claims from the, on the CompEasy system, uh, which is very low. But how are we going to determine whether the illness was caused at the workplace or at home? Um, I'm not sure how they're going to determine, or is everyone 
who gets ill and who is working is going to be able to claim how they're going to determine that. And then uh, finally, uh, there's a, a, a real problem. If an employee is found to be positive, is it compulsory for that employee to report that to the employer? Um, and, and are we going, are we, I mean, there's a moral dilemma over here. Oh, do they have to tell the employer? And I want to hear the, from the department as to what they have to say. Thank you for listening to me. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much. I'm, I'm looking into the time. I just want to make this, this, this proposition that we, we, we ask uh, the, the last members who want to ask questions that must be very short and straight to the point so that from 7 o'clock we then give the department to respond to all our questions. Is that fine? Is that fine, honorable members? Yes. yes. As long as I'm in your list, uh, Moloi. Yes. I have I've yes. seen yes. you at yes. DM. Uh, who's the other one? Myself, Chair. Honorable Nontele. And, and myself. Forget about Honorable Hendricks. Honorable Hendricks. Okay. Forget about Nontele. Come again. Honorable <laughs> can you please mute? Uh, we can see what you are doing in that car. Can you please mute? <laughs> No, right. I was saying no, forget about non-sale. No, I won't. Can we can we then start what I, I will start like this. I will start with Honorable Hendricks, Honorable Nonsele, then it will be DM and I will be the last. I will find. Honorable Hendricks. Uh, thank you, Honorable you recognize me. Thank you. It's Honorable Bosos. Oh, sorry. sorry, Honorable Bosov. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. I've, I've noted you. Honorable Hendricks? Uh, thank you, Honorable Chair. The, Honorable Chair, the presentation comes as a breath of fresh air, and I must commend the leadership uh, for giving a lot of hope and, uh, to the country. I've also noticed that even people that uh, applied for normal UIF benefits in the last month, one billion rand was paid in addition, in addition to the four billion that's a magnificent achievement, uh, uh, Honorable Chair, and we must compliment the department. The question I want to ask, Honorable Chair, is uh, we need to get an indication of the spread of infection uh, at the workplace uh, by essential workers because we're going to add another million workers uh, to that workforce corp, and uh, we need to know uh, uh, whether we need to up uh, the uh, 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 oversight as far as that is concerned. In fact, um, uh, we have a feeling that uh, the, there has been a spike of infections at the workplace because we read in the press of companies having to close down Unilever and so on. But we need to hear from the department, uh, has there been a spike of infections uh, among essential workers? So if there hasn't been a spike, we have peace of mind that when we send a million workers uh, uh, back to the workplaces, we can cope with it. And lastly, Honorable Chair, uh, I know that many workplaces have permanent shop stewards to make sure that there are fair labor practice, but that is negotiated between the employer and the employee. 
I, I feel that safety and health representatives, there needs to be during this period permanent health and safety representatives so they can spend the whole day, especially at large workplaces, to be, to be the ears and eyes of the nation to ensure that employers comply. I understand that 64% of employers are complying, but we need 100% of employers to comply because if just one or two employers don't comply, you know, uh, it can have disastrous effects. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Posov. Honorable Chair, you have not recognized Honorable Mtabe. May I proceed, Chair? Yes, you may. Yes, you, you may very, proceed. Thank you very much. I have one question. Um, the 500 extra inspectors, may I ask, I don't know if I missed it, what the cost would be to get them out onto the streets and whether they've had the necessary training like the current inspectors have and what was the cost with regard to that? Thank you very much. Thank you. Honorable Nonsele. Honorable Nonsele. Thank you, Honorable Speaker. Chair. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Evening members. Honorable members. Uh, also, evening to Honorable Minister and Deputy Minister, the Director General and staff. Uh, Honorable Chairperson, the question. Firstly, let me congratulate the department for the excellent uh, job well done, particularly under the trying circumstances wherein they were expected to respond to a massive challenge that uh, currently is. We know that is still the beginning, as uh, some of the honorable members does indicate that, uh, in fact, quite high numbers are still expected who can be thrown out of employment, which the department needs to respond to. But having noted that, there are just few areas that uh, one wants to raise, particularly on the part, firstly, of congratulations, but also getting some clarities. Minister, in his, in his uh, uh, opening address, did uh, allude to challenges wherein employers would uh, close companies and he sent workers backing because those companies, there's been a positive uh, uh, outcomes in terms of infection by workers. This in particular relates to a large number of workers who have been sent back home, particularly from Western Cape in Ceres, uh, farm plantations like where you have fruit and so on. So the, the key question would be, what responsibility is in there on the side of the employers to ensure that first and foremost, they look into the well-being of those workers before they can make a decision to either release, to send them back home, or even to allow them to stay around, particularly with the, with the responsibility, for instance, of getting them tested, getting them screened, and so on. Because too often you find that workers are just thrown into transport and, and sent backing home. And the consequence of that is that most of these workers come from rural areas or most of them come from urban areas where the members of the community would just 
integrate with them without taking into account the consequences of getting infected by the, by the COVID-19. So the key question, therefore, would be the responsibility with, by, by the employers to ensure that those workers, where there is a potential closure uh, as a result of positive infection in that uh, employment setup, uh, what responsibility of the employers have in particular to those workers who should be now be told to go back home or to be, to be asked to leave those areas. Because the employers still need those workers come the next day when uh, the whole notion of COVID-19 uh, dissipates and the industry is allowed to operate. The second question would be the, 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 the state of readiness by the department taking into account, for instance, that certain industries are going back into operation. There are a number of workers who may come in faced by the very same circumstances that one is raising, wherein you find that the question, for instance, of infection or levels of infection, in fact, increase instead of decreasing. And the second point is that what responsibility employers have, but also the question, for instance, of ensuring safety of those workers, what conditions should, in fact, be introduced in the, in, in, in the workplace so that we ensure that all the workers who go back to, uh, uh, to work, they are, in fact, properly uh, protected and appropriate steps are, in fact, taken to ensure that they are, they are safe. The, the other area of, of, of clarity is with regard to the question of the undeclared uh, numbers, that is by employers, where employers would have registered 10 employees, but when claiming they would come with 50 or 60 uh, uh, employees, which is the point that Director General has in fact alluded to. What steps then are we taking as a department to ensure that there is no repetition of such? Or what penalties, if for instance, there's been a, a, a consistent situation wherein employers have been under-reporting for whatever reason. What steps then the department would be taking? The last question, uh, Chair, would be around the question of, uh, of a compensation fund. Uh, we have noted and want to congratulate again compensation fund with regard to how it has operated now. Particularly, the, the key point is with regard to uh, ordinary benefits, that is on both UIF and as well as compensation fund, because one notes that they have made sure that the ordinary benefits that are supposed to be carried out over the same period, notwithstanding the challenge of COVID-19, are in fact carried through. But however, the key question then to co compensation fund would be, uh, how do they make sure that uh, there is no misrepresentation. I think they, this question was asked earlier on by one of the honorable members. How do they make sure that there is no abuse of the system wherein people would claim for, 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 for workplace uh, or occupational injury when in fact it had not arisen given the situation of the massive closures and so on? How do we make sure that we protect the fund uh, going forward? Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, Thank you very much, Honorable Nunzele. Can we then go to Honorable Mugabe? 
Oh. Yes, I'm, I'm around here. Thank you very much. Are you hearing me? Yes. No, thanks, Chair. Uh, thanks uh, to the presentations done by the department and the minister. My question is in relation to uh, slide 19, that uh, the employers who are not submitting the list of employees, my understanding, limited uh, as it may be, that uh, if they then submit a list of UIF contributors, would be the name of the employee, the salary, the 1% value, plus the employer contribution. Now, the question would be, how would then the employer submit on behalf of the employee without that list? And to reconcile from the UIF on the basis of who, therefore, are the contributors. The second question is in relation to underpaid companies. Those underpaid companies, normally, in the normal situation, they would have, before submitting a global figure, submitted an individual contributor list of those employees which is a system that comes from any payroll uh, that the companies use, unless maybe the system used by the department or UIF is not in line with what would then be an attachment from the companies, which would then make a con a, 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 be a contributory factor to the issue of uh, underpayment. The, second, the, the last question, Chair, is in relation to a, a reconciliation from the companies that have been paid versus the individual employee that is making an application, whether there would be then a situation where there is a double payment for a, one of the employees that the company has already applied on his or her behalf. Thanks, Chair. Thank you very much. Uh, GM, I'm, I'm of the understanding that you are going to be part of the, of the team that is going to respond. My, my two questions, short questions, Minister, three in fact from my side. Yes, I listened, uh, you were speaking on one of the radio stations, Umkhova Wenene, day before yesterday, where a person from a filling station was complaining about uh, the employer who's not paying them. My understanding that is that filling stations, they fall under the category of essential workers. And uh, what then is the department you are doing to correct that situation? Two, we have got a sector which is quite a very difficult sector, domestic workers. How is that sector going to be assisted in ensuring that uh, employers do apply for, for, for a relief for them. It, I'm saying it's difficult because I know that it's, it's an individual house, but those people have, all the, those workers have also been affected by the, 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 the issue of the, of, of COVID-19. This question has been passed, part, partly asked, but I just want in general in everything that uh, 
how how ready are you going to be in terms of uh, now we're at level four if the partial factories that are going to to open i think honorable nonsele has 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 asked this and 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 honorable one of the of the members that now the volume of work is going to be in in, in particular for inspection and enforcement as much as the inspector general is saying they are not going to be everywhere that i agree but do you think that the system is going to 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 cope uh, because you are going to be dependent on a number of things uh, because now we are going to be on level 4 i think those are the questions i'm going to hand over to the department including the dm i don't know i don't i'm not expecting the deputy minister to ask questions but i'm expecting her to be part of the team that is going to respond on the questions that have been asked thank you very much i will hand over to the minister the deputy minister the dm the commissioners the commissioner and the and the inspector general thank you very much or the minister will close up and the the, the dm and the minister will close up the session of questions before we close the meeting thank you very much over to you dg The question relating to undeclared um, employees and, and whether business has expressed itself um, on this issue. In our discussion with uh, business, we, we are raising these things and they are as concerned as we are. Um, I, I haven't heard them expressing it, as, I haven't heard them expressing it um, in public, but they do express um, their concern. Um, when we do have our discussions, as we pick up issues, we, we meet with them and we, we try and resolve issues. Um, on, on the, and around the, the issue of the, the, the impact of um, COVID-19 uh, pandemic and, um, and, and, the, and its impact on the economy and the, the possible job losses, and whether UIF um, will be able to cope um, so far, we, we've paid just over over five billion, if we include the normal um, the, the the normal UIF benefits. Now, the question is, if we were to if we were to pay everybody who is employed, if you if you look at the sixteen point four million people who are employed. Um, and we have to pay them, and we have 136 billion that we have. Now, of course, if we continue to be um, under lockdown um, for, you know, um, for a long period of time, the unemployment insurance fund will not cope because it wasn't designed for this kind of a situation. So we will have to find uh, money elsewhere, um, but that's the reality. For now, we think that um, we, we will be able to cope. We are coping unless um, the, we continue to, uh, to be under lockdown and companies continue to, to return if they are, they are going to return. And I think the reality is that the, the companies are going to return. That's inevitable. 
Um, but we're watching the, the, the situation, and that's why we, 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 we gave the committee members a view of uh, how much do we have um, in, in, our, in, in our portfolio as a, as, a, as a fund, and where are those funds sitting, and what, what is it that we have to do to access those, uh, those funds, and the impact of us um, selling the, 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 the bonds. So, so it's a very difficult question to answer now because we're sitting with we, we made forty nine billion um, available, but we've also put aside as part of that one hundred and thirty six billion um, almost uh, over eighty billion, which is put aside to, to deal with, uh, with with retrenchments that will come from COVID and the nineteen pandemic. The issue of foreign nationals um, is something that we are handling as a department together with the Home Affairs and SARS. Um, we, we, will start, we should start paying them um, as soon as, uh, as, as next week, Honorable uh, Chairperson. Um, those who qualify to play, um, we, we took a decision um, Honorable Chairperson, this is a question raised by Honorable Mugwezi. We took a decision from the beginning that um, we will ask employers, bargaining councils and entities to assist us to discuss their uh, claims and therefore employers would apply on behalf of their employees. And that's exactly what has happened and, and that's why we're able to appreciate those employers who have done that. So the turnaround time, if um, the claim is um, is a is a valid claim. The turnaround time is 24 hours at at uh, best, and at worst is 48 hours. And and the causes of the delays, of course, we said that those 740 uh, they have not submitted correct um, bank accounts. It could just be an, an error on the part of the um, whoever submitted the information or the employees could have changed bank, could have changed bank, bank accounts and they have not informed the employer so so for us it, we we have not really looked at the the causes all what we want is that um, the situation must be corrected so that the employees can get what is due to them <clears throat> we, we don't know how many people are supposed to claim, but given the fact that we have, as I indicated, 16.4 million people were employed, um, and the number of companies that were performing essential service, um, we, we then said um, there is no expectation that the 16.4 million will claim. And it can only claim if the system collapses uh, in its entirety. And we don't see that um, that happening. Of course, there will be retrenchments. We have indicated that that's inevitable. And the unemployment is going to balloon. We've uh, indicated also that that's inevitable. Um, and, and we're hoping that, um, given the fact that government is busy putting together recovery plans uh, so that uh, the, the economy can uh, pick up, we're hoping that uh, those will work. And of course, working with, the, with companies will avert a situation where, um, you know, there's total collapse. Around the issue of call centers, um, 
Yes, we, the minister indicated that uh, we, we, when we started, we had a limited number of call center agencies, and um, we have since increased the number. Um, but given the fact that um, when people call, when you give people um, a call center number or a hotline, and just because it's a government a hotline, they phone for other things that are not related to unemployment insurance fund. COVID-19 tears benefit. And and the lines get clogged uh, because of that. Uh, That's why we continue to to increase the number based on the report that we get from from Harambe. Um, And we, we I think as early as yesterday, we we added another 100 to the the call center agencies. Um, So we we're pretty much, uh, you know, uh, providing capacity to the call center as and when uh, situations uh, demand. The incorrect, uh, incorrect uh, applications, and, and if, you have, if you have punched uh, the wrong ID number, I think um, our IT people are, work, are working with, with individual companies, and as soon as this, thing is, this issue like that is picked up and they're able to, uh, to call a company, walk, with, walk them through the the system to try and resolve whatever problem um, they, they might have experienced. Like I said, um, we, we, we have learned that as we, as we go along, we need to make, we need to make adjustment to the, um, to the capability of our system to be able to deal with a whole host of, um, of challenges. The, the issue of annual leave, when we started the, um, and talking about the COVID-19 benefit. Our view was that even though we know what Basic Condition of Employment Act says with respect to the leave determination, we we would have preferred that employers, um, you know, did not uh, force people to take leave. They are within their rights to do so, by the way, because the law um, provides for that. What we wanted was that uh, if a company shuts down, uh, due to the lock, due the lockdown, that should be treated as a special leave. However, most companies didn't do that. They opted for opted for, for, for giving people leave, which is in is in compliance with the with the law. But what we're saying to companies, and we still say that even today, um, is that there's a benefit that we've put here, um, and we would like companies to to use that benefit instead of subjecting people to uh, taking their, their leave. We know, as I indicated, that in terms of the law, um, they, should, they, should, they could do so. The, what, what happened to the, the first claims that were made? Um, we received 39,000 claims. And of that, of, of the... Uh, 39,000 claims, only 34 claims were competent claims, and we paid them. So we sent all those claims back, and and uh, and companies have corrected what they needed to do, and we continue to pay those claims. So that 39,000 is part of the, um, the total number of claims that we've received cumulatively, and, 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 and the number of those are part of the 77,000. Um, uh, company employers that were paid 
um, to the tune of 4.4 billion that I, I, I mentioned. So we continue to pay those claims. I didn't get the question about the construction bargaining council chair. What was the issue that the honourable member was there? Um, what was the question that he was asking her, um, around that? Um, I, I've already responded to the question around retrenchments. Um, that we have, yes, we do have money that we put aside for for, for retrenchments. The issue of a top-up, I think I earlier on mentioned this, that um, from the side of the of UIF, there was nothing untoward when the um, when they used the, the, the existing formula and, 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 and Section 12 of the uh, Unemployment Insurance Act provision that says if you get, if the employer tops up your salary um, and it exceeds the what UIF would have given you, you then don't qualify for a benefit. This, this is what I mean. If you, are, if you earn um, 17,000, if you earn 17,000 and you qualify to get 6,700, 6, the employer tops up your salary and you get 17,000. In terms of section 12, you should not get anything because the employer, whatever the employer uh, uh, added as a top up exceeds that which you, you were going to get from the unemployment insurance fund. Now, and, and it defeats the purpose of an income replacement um, a model that we are using. So when this thing was brought to our attention and that it, it is not in line with the spirit um, of what we want to do both as government and government employers and uh, employees, that of putting money in the hands of the employees. We decided that we'll change it, we'll change the formula, we'll then amend the directive so that the decision that we have taken to agree that top-ups could be uh, made is also in line with the directive. So with that we have done, and now companies are able to top up. And so, so I don't think now it is, it is an issue. And those who received um, less than what they would have received if, if top up was allowed initially, um, the our, our officials are looking at it and are and are paying them um, to make sure that they um, they they are not disadvantaged. I think that, that I'll ask the commissioner to re, to respond to the uh, compensation fund uh, question. There is a question oh, on the, the, the. I think Chair, maybe let me finish and then the commissioner can can come in. Uh, there's a question on the the spread of infections at the workplace. For now, we, we, we don't have information as to what is the, um, or how is the spread of information as infections at a, at a workplace. Uh, and the indication that we're getting from the what compensation fund, and from what, what has been submitted to a compensation fund is as per the, the report that the commissioner has, has given. And to date, we have received only 42, I think 42 
42 claims, and those are the claims that we are processing. And as we go along, we um, we we're gonna build the this uh, this database of information and intelligence so that we know um, what are the issues and where are the which sectors are indeed um, have cases of um, of, uh, uh, of infection. The 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 issue around permanent health and safety representatives. Sorry, Honourable Chair, can I Honourable Chair, Honourable Chair, can I can I rephrase the question so that DG can can respond to it? No, Honourable Nonsele, you are then going to create a challenge because everybody would like to rephrase the challenge. Can I say the, the question? Can I suggest if you feel that the question has not been answered uh, to to your satisfaction, you know that we allow you to get a written response. Over to you, Honorable Tichi. I'm sorry, over to you, Tichi. Chair, you promoting me. Um, Chair, um, with regards to the issue of a permanent health and safety representatives, the, the department is in no position to um, prescribe to companies as to how they have to uh, deal with the issue of health and safety. Um, because we don't know what happens there. But it sounds more like a very good suggestion. Um, and you will see that in, our, in the directive that we've issued, we make mention of the, um, the role of health and safety committees um, in helping employers to make sure that the, the workplaces are, are safe. So um, you can only have a health and safety committee if you have health and safety reps. Whether they are permanently employed as health and safety reps, we, we, that's a discussion that we wouldn't want to get into. But we know that most companies have health and safety practitioners that they have appointed to run their health and safety um, um, offices. I agree with the honorable member, we need 100% compliance by employers. And that is why um, we, it, that is why there's a condition that um, work, employers must prepare workplace readiness plans and, and, and submit those plans because without those plans, you will not be able to open your company um, because those plans should take into account um, the, should take, take into account the risks that employees will be exposed to, and secondly, um, um, implement what we, we refer to in the in the initial guidelines that we issued, and and also carry it to carry it into the the, the, the current directive that we issued, the administrative controls, the, the engineering controls, and and the uh, issuing of personal protective um, equipment or clothing. If those uh, conditions are, uh, are met and the, the continuous uh, screening um, of uh, the employees as they come in and when they leave, and those protocols that um, are laid down by ourselves and also the Department of Health, um, if companies are complying with those, then I think they'll be allowed to, 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 to operate. The, the question on the 50 extra inspectors, 
Um, the honourable member is 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 is, is correct. I'm assuming that uh, um, she's she's uh, indicating that uh, once you appoint someone, you cannot just um, uh, release that person to perform the work that they're supposed to perform without undergoing um, you know stringent training to prepare those people for the task ahead. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, this 50, 50, this 500 people are going to undergo a serious uh, training so that they are ready. Uh, we make them we make them inspectors, um, and we're hoping that uh, they they'll be able to to assist us. I don't have the cost um, of that um, at the top of my uh, at the top of my head, but it's information that we can easily provide to the honourable members. Um, with regards to workers that are sent back, because there's a there's a possibility of uh, one of them um, having contracted um, COVID uh, COVID nineteen. Um, well, the the number of, of players around uh, or involved is it's it's uh, it's us because. This happens at the workplace, and, uh, and therefore we, we need to make sure we need to come in, do an inspection, make sure that the, the company does everything possible to prepare the companies uh, so that um, when they reopen, um, they would have complied with all the protocols. And secondly, the Department of Health uh, immediately when there's a when someone who's um, you know contracted. The virus at a workplace, the Department of Health uh, takes over um, the, because everybody has to comply with, those, with their protocols. So we've been working with them in almost all the workplaces that we've inspected, and, and, and they were playing that, that role. And the state of readiness of the department, I think the Inspector General has indicated um, that we, we are ready, but for us, the quick question, the key issue is um, is how ready are workplaces to return to economic activity, and how are they ready to receive their workers? And that's why we have this. Um, we've put in place the the, the 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 occupational health and safety directive, um, and that's why we're working with the Department of Health to make sure that. Companies are ready, um, and and that's why the, also the Department of uh, Trade and in, Trade Industry and Competition um, has issued a also a directive indicating um, what needs to be done um, at a workplace in terms of wearing masks and so, uh, social distancing. So those are the protocols that must be um, complied with, um, and and. And if companies do comply with those, they will help us a lot as a department because the, the truth of the matter is we don't have resources to, to be everywhere. And, and that's why the Inspector General said we rely on the, on the, on the employers um, taking um, seriously um, the, the responsibility of uh, care towards their employees. And secondly, um, because they want to start the economic activities, they need to make sure that the workplaces are, are safe. But we'll also rely on 
the activism of the unions and the, uh, the activism of the employ- employees themselves. And in fact, employees, employers themselves, they also call us to say, uh, please, can you come and check this? Uh, we do get those calls from employers. I think I've dealt with the issue of uh, undeclared employees. Um, we are working with, the, with these companies. Uh, because for us, what's important is to find out if indeed they are, they are, they are employees. And if they are, if they are employees, we, we, we have an obligation to, uh, to pay, but the company has an obligation also to pay UIF, whatever it's due to UIF, because of underdeclaring. So at the moment, we don't want to call it as fraud um, up until we have uh, gathered all the facts uh, to be able to, um, to make that, that pronouncement. And if we picked up indeed that, um, I mean, under declaring in terms of the, uh, the Unemployment Insurance Act and, and also the UI Contribution Act um, is an offense. And therefore, um, our inspectors, and that's why the Inspector General spoke about uh, bringing back a group of inspectors that we call, um, that we call um, auditors. Uh, so that they're able to come and assist in ensuring that uh, these employers who have underdeclared uh, are dealt with. The commissioner will deal with the abuse of the system. Um, I think I've dealt with the issue of a question raised by Honorable Dabe on the um, employers submitting a claims, uh, which is, those are undeclared. I, I, I suppose um, the, the system that we've, uh, the, that we've come up with, that we've developed in some instances um, is not aligned with the, the employer's payroll, and that is why we ask the employers to submit information in a, in a particular manner. Uh, so that it can easily be uh, consumed by the by the system, and the system is able to process it. So, um, and and that's why we're picking up these things because the system is able to to say, hey, there is a there is a, this. We know this employee because the, this employee has a has, has a was declared and has a UIF um, um, uh, reference number, and those that do not have UIF reference numbers are put uh, aside. And, and that's why we're able to classify them as, uh, as undeclared um, workers. So reconciliation does take place. Um, what, we have, what we have done, we've also allowed employees in an instance that uh, employer has not submitted a claim on their behalf. We have allowed employees to submit their submit claims individually. Now, the system is able to pick up whether um, they, they, this employee was paid or not. In, in an event that the employer submitted the claim and the employee says, no, 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 I didn't get the, uh, I didn't get the money, I'm, I'm resubmitting uh, my claim as an individual. So there, there is reconciliation that takes place. I think the issue of the filling station that Chairperson spoke about, um, Filling station, uh, you correctly, Chairperson, uh, were, were deemed as a 
as essential service. And therefore, um, there is no issue that arises relating to, or that arises relating to them having to claim the UIF COVID-19 benefits, unless someone was dismissed um, or retrenched during this period, and, and then those people will then have to apply for the normal UIF uh, ordinary benefits. Um, and, and also we would have had a discussion with the bargaining council that they belong to, and we would have concluded an agreement um, with that bargaining council in the event that they were not classified as, a, as essential service employees. The issue of the domestic uh, sector, you're right, Chairperson, is a very difficult one. Uh, it has always been very difficult, even when our inspectors want to do inspections. We, we resorted to what um, we, to, we resorted to sending what we call calling cards and talking to employers um, so that we can get information from them. Um, but with regards to their um, to the COVID-19 benefits, we have secured um, um, a, a service from Interfile, which is um, a free service. Um, which is zero rated, which, al which will allow us to send bulk SMSs to employers of the domestic workers. So if you have a domestic worker, check this in, um, we will send you an, S an SMS very soon that says to you, uh, please, if your domestic worker was, um, was, was locked down and was away during this period uh, before the 1st of uh, May, um, you then need to apply on behalf of that domestic worker. But we will also send the SMSs domestic workers as, as well to inform them that if they were away, they then qualify for a COVID-19 benefit and they can apply on, um, as, in, as individuals. I, I think I've, uh, those are the questions, Chair, that I, I noted. I don't know if I've missed out questions. I'll ask the Commissioner to respond to um, the questions relating to compensation fund. And I don't know if the Inspector General would like to add something to, uh, to what I've, I've already said. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, thank you very much, uh, DG. Commissioner? Thank you, Commissioner uh, Thank you, Chairperson, and thank you to the Honorable Members for the questions. Uh, the DG has uh, touched on uh, a, a, some of the responses. I'll just touch on one. So we we anticipated that uh, when we when we published the notice, like like many other communicable occupational diseases, it was going to be a bit difficult to uh, assess claims uh, as to whether this has been a community um, transmitted uh, disease or something that would have been uh, contracted in the workplace. So that's why when we published the notice, we've also uh, included an addition questionnaire that is in addition to the normal uh, WCL forms that employers would submit when they register a claim. Now, this questionnaire asks a, a set of questions that would uh, hopefully then enable the medical officers and the claims uh, assessors who are dealing with the claim to be able to then look at the facts around the claim and make a decision. And uh, since this is new, we are going to learn uh, a number of things. And I'm sure there may be those that may want to test the system and uh, try their luck with submitting claims where uh, the uh, disease would not have been uh, contracted in the workplace. And uh, we, with the uh, 
number of these cases that would be reported would then be able to improve our controls as well and uh, beef up the process and improve it if uh, for it to be able to be better for people to uh, to submit uh, the claims. Chair, I think that's just that one question that was uh, not answered. The DG spoke about the issue of the uh, sectors when they open up, if there's going to be a spike on the infections or not. We have seen that during the uh, current, uh, during the lockdown, majority of the claims have been in the healthcare uh, sector. So we, with, with, with the opening up of some of the sectors, we will be able to see what are the other sectors that are, are, are prone to, uh, to infections. And this is the information that we will then be able to use working with the Inspector General to be able to target some of those industries to make sure that they get their systems uh, up to scratch to make sure that they protect the, the workers to ensure that we don't get as uh, much claims as, as, as possible. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Commissioner. Chairperson, just the last point on the construction bargaining council matter that I, 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 that I missed. Um, I know that it relates to the unhappiness um, with regards to payments that were made straight to employers. Um, our guys are in discussion with the this bargaining council, and uh, just before the portfolio committee sitting, and they they had a discussion, um, and they are trying to resolve whatever the issues are. And by next week, these issues would have been resolved. And secondly, on the on the section twelve, the recalculations um, will be paid next week. Chairperson, remember I spoke about the issue of the top up, and that uh, there are those who didn't get anything because. Um, in addition to the top-up and what UIF would have paid them, um, it resulted in them not getting anything because of Section 12 of the of the Act. Um, also, uh, what I would like to add, Chair, that uh, it's important to announce this, that uh, 15,888 domestic uh, workers have already been paid um, over 60 million. So, um, we do get um, applications, um, but we know that there are those who have not submitted, uh, and those that they are the, those are the ones that are going to get the SMSs. Thank you. Oh, thank you, thank you very much, uh, Inspector General. Is there anything that you'd like to respond to? Chairperson, just to add on what the DG has, has, has said, I think he did very well. He answered all the questions, but I just want to add on the issue of uh, the matter of training of the 500. The question that was raised by Honorable Boshoff, just to highlight that out of that 500, not every single one of the those inspectors will necessarily be new because some of the posts are promotional in nature. So the likelihood is that you'll be getting a balance between new inspectors and the inspectors that have been in the system already and have been trained as we speak on the, um, particularly on the um, hygiene and um, issues that affect uh, COVID-19, health and hygiene issues. Thanks, Chair. Thank you. Uh, DM, is there anything? Deputy Minister, are you still here? Yes, I'm here, Chair. Can you see me? 
Can yeah, you hear? I saw you. I'm so, yeah, I can see you. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Chair. Uh, no, I was saying, Chair, uh, because you are now, you have restricted me, uh, all the things I wanted to present, now you have channeled me, but safe to say, Chair, I think it is this at this point in time that we need to agree as uh, both the, the portfolio committee and the select committee chair that we our policies and all our existing legislations uh, that governs our department needs to be aligned uh, to the current uh, COVID-19 regulations. We don't change the laws, but we need to align them in one way or the other because uh, um, so that our department must be functional during this process, Chair. Uh, we must start this process now to consider this process of, of, of alignment. And, and because these disruptions appears to be uh, the new normal uh, and our way of life post-COVID-19, and, and I think we need to speed up uh, this alignment and we need to address some of the lessons that we are learning currently from these situations uh, of COVID-19 uh, because the new, in terms of the new normal of remote working, I think that, that some of this must be uh, dealt with because uh, I, I believe, Chair, that we our predictability and anticipation of human life disruptions must be expressed in our laws and policies, including regulations. And I think that at some point, uh, uh, we have to communicate these decisions that we take from time to time as this. And, and we need to begin to uh, uh, make sure that uh, uh, what we talk about what we present to these meetings is what is contained in our laws and policies and regulations. So everything must be aligned. We shouldn't be out of sync. And I think also, uh, Chair, uh, I think the DG also uh, dealt extensively on, on and, and, and the commissioner on the issues of employers whose intentions is to place the workers on leave, the DG touched on that one. But the issue, Chair, that is actually most worrying is that issue of uh, 750 employers uh, whose uh, applications were declined. Uh, and, and I think uh, we need to follow through because uh, I don't think uh, it, it can just be declined because of wrong uh, banking details. So, and I think if there is a possibility that uh, uh, if we've got a reason to believe that uh, uh, the intention was to defraud the system and we need to allow the law enforcement agencies to come in on these situations because it raises eyebrows. It just can't be left uh, hanging. Uh, we need to go deeper into it and check why were they not, uh, including those uh, errors, if you check on your slide 11, the errors on applications received, which did not necessarily meet the standard. Does, does it mean that there is a possibility of fraudulent claims? And I'm sure in our reporting, continuous reporting in the future, we might be able to get such a report that will actually uh, tell us where we are now. But I must say, Chair, that uh, uh, including a follow-up, a follow-through, not now, Chair, but maybe in the next meeting, 
we need we have seen the figures we have seen the numbers in terms of uh, those employees who have been paid uh, so far i mean we've paid the employers on behalf of employees but we need to make a follow through chair uh, maybe at some point we must get a report also which indicates uh, the actual workers paid and those that are outstanding that we know that the minister alluded to the fact that we know that this is a number of employees that needs to be paid but we have not been even 50% halfway through. But we need to know some employers might be claiming on behalf of employees, but not necessarily giving or passing through the money to those employees. So we need to make sure that our system is such that uh, we are able to, to close up and uh, for possible uh, defrauding. I wanted to talk about the liquidity, but I will leave that chair. Uh, but I, I saw on the slide 15 chair, I think it's a typographical error, the offshore, which is written as of shoe. It might mean something else, but I suspect it's supposed to have been captured as uh, offshore. But also here we may be uh, referring to some tax haven in investments, or we may want, uh, uh, we may be talking about equity or consumer and business spending. And if this refers to investment, we may want to know where these investments are made and are uh, they still safe based on the current uh, global crisis? The returns on this investment, interest and maturity dates, maybe for future purposes, we might want uh, or expect such a report uh, so that mem honorable members can be kept abreast of such developments in all, actually in all, all our investment portfolio. We might want to know what is our return on investment, the maturity dates and such. Uh, but for now, I think the DG and the commissioner have covered most of the issues. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, over to you, Minister. Thank you. Are you still around? I'm <coughs> still here. Thank you. Chairperson. Hear me, Chairperson? Thank you. Thank you. Just on two issues. Um, Honorable. Uh, Cardo on the issue of the foreign nationals. We must remember that there are foreign nationals who are here and they are properly documented, which means those qualify um, to get whatever benefits if they are employed. But you have foreign nationals who are here illegally and not properly documented. Those, there's no way that we can pay them. In fact, that's what has triggered this debate about employment policy. And I think everyone will be thinking about that. You remember the other day, the Minister of Finance came up when he was addressing the media, talking about that. There are many people who have already been talking about the issue of the employment police. Some of them is to anticipate what's going to happen in the future. As you say it, that the minister was talking seven to eight million, others are talking 50% of your unemployment. So there's nobody whom you'd say is correct because economists make their uh, predictions based on whatever. But I think we'd be able to count the losses af after some time. But it's definite that there's going to be massive, massive job losses and, 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 and companies are not going to be able to come back, all of them. Some might come back after some time. So this is a matter which we'll have to debate as to how do we mitigate this, not just as the department, but also as, as um, 
as the, 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 the government as a whole at different levels. So this is a matter we, we, we're looking at. And the issue of the sustainability of the UAF. We are going to depend on our actuaries who have to seek do calculations and uh, put different scenarios in terms of the numbers they will be able. But uh, you might find that it might not be that sustainable. Like you think the DG was saying, we might be forced to recall some of the investments which we are having and uh, we, we don't know what that will mean. The, the, the second area which I thought I need to, um, to comment on is the issue which has been raised by Honorable Comrade uh, Nonsel. We have received these allegations of the workers who are being uh, dumped um, <clears throat> from the farms. What I can say for now, we are following it um, and we are investigating. And once we have all the facts, will be able to talk about the action which we will have to, 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 to take. And secondly, on the issue of the responsibility of, of, of the employers in terms of COVID-19 and the preparations thereof as the companies are opening. Let me just remind the members that uh, on, the, on the 17th of March, we, 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 on the 17th of March, we came up with a, a directive, a directive which was very clear on what was expected of the employers. So that directive, although it was for the essential services, now that we also have the new directive and we put in directions focusing more on the occupational health and, and safety. I just want to quote some of the areas in brief. We are saying as the employers are going to be reopening some of them, if the employer employs more than 500 employees, that employer must submit a record of its risk assessment together with a written policy concerning the protection of the health and the safety of its employees from COVID-19. And there must be a health and safety committee that must be established in terms of section 19 of the OHS. And it further says, the employer must notify all workers the contents of the directive and the manner in which it intends to implement that particular directive. And I think there are a lot of issues which have been written there. That is a directive which we signed uh, two days ago on the 28th, if I'm right. Yes, on the 28th, where the employer must notify its employees that if they are sick or have symptoms associated with the COVID-19, they must not come to work and to take the paid leave but they must also appoint managers to address employee and workplace representative concerns and all sorts of the issues. But what we are saying, it will be criminal of any employer just to simply dump 
or to say go go home and not report that and so on and so on and uh, that would create serious serious problems we believe therefore that we are going to rely one on the unions on the socially responsible employers because there are many employers who are very responsible and also our inspectors remember we've also talked about some bodies who have been accredited who can help us to do the 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 uh, inspections so we will be announcing either tomorrow or on sunday what is expected of the employers as a follow-up to what was released by the regulations by Minister Nkosanza Najamini Zuma and Minister Patel following the president, as the department would also be following up, giving the details of what is expected of, of the employers. All we are saying, employers have an obligation to protect the workers. And once those workers are sick, they also have an uh, obligation uh, to report. They must take all the necessary measures to protect the workers. I, I want to leave it there, Chairperson. No, oh, thank you very oh, much, you. Uh, Minister, and the and the, the, the DM and the DG and the team for taking us through on the latest developments and uh, what then is then going to happen now that we are going we are at level four of the lockdown, and we hope that uh, employers and employees and trade unions and and communities in general are going to be vigilant as they have been vigilant. We will, I will also want to commend those bargaining councils that have managed to apply and pay their workers. And we are urging those that may be still dragging their feet to do that because this is not the making of anybody. We are all, the virus does not have any, 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 any color gender or whatever, but it can never be profit before before health. And we hope, Minister and the DG, that those employers that have been found to be uh, fraudulent uh, in practice in, in practice in terms of the number of their employees and employees and how then they they are applying. If you do find them, please I hope that they are the law enforcement is going to do its work as it is doing its work to the ordinary people who are breaking the law in terms of the regulations of the COVID-19. We, we, on behalf of the committee, I will, I will request, Honorable Minister, that uh, we get the, this directive because we are going to be conducting oversight. Some of us are in a industrial uh, dense industrial uh, area, like in PE and in the Eastern Cape, we would like to have those so that when we go to these workplaces, just to make a, 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 a spot on oversight, we are able to, to, to ensure that employers are taking care of their workers and the safety environment in terms of the directive. Honorable members, we, we, we will have some meetings like this if the need arises. The need arises, and I want to commend honorable members for being patient and being uh, 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 vigilant in ensuring that 
we are then being uh, uh, briefed by the department. Next week, we are going to have a joint meeting, which then the department is going to table. It's a it's APP as of as as in line with the February budget. There's nothing that has changed in terms of the budget for now. So there's nothing is going to change in terms of what we are to do. The only thing that is changing is that we are now forced to have joint meetings with the NCOP. We will ha- I will humbly request the, the department minister to, to circulate those departments on time so that we are able to come to be in the meeting prepared. Having said that, honorable members, thank you very much. And uh, the meeting standard, Jen. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you.